But let's begin by praying. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this chance uh, to be in this place today. I thank you for the worship that we've experienced in song. I pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit now will speak to us because we are so blessed. Help us to understand how blessed and to give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to just open it up to where we're going to be most of the time, that would be 1 Peter, and I'm telling you in advance because it can take a little while to find. But it's one of those little ones right down near the end. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now those are all words and names that uh, probably don't mean a whole lot to you unless, unless for some reason you've spent a lot of time studying uh, history of the area that in our day we would call the country of Turkey, uh, because all these places he names are in that region. Uh, but in those days, this had a lot of meaning. This would have been a lot like me saying, uh, to God's elect scattered throughout Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, Nevada. You keep naming them. That's that's what he's saying. He's talking about a geographical area, and this was an area in the central part of, of Asia Minor, of what we, would call, uh, what we would call Turkey today. Pontus is a region where there was some, some early Christian work. That's where Paul went early on. Uh, Galatia, there's a book written to the people in that region, the Galatians. Cappadocia is an amazing place. If you ever get a chance to tour in Turkey, go to Cappadocia. Um, they did some amazing things there. It turns out that's a region with a lot of sandstone. And sandstone is kind of soft. And, and they went into that region and they literally carved into the hillsides and into the rock dwelling places inside of the rock and underground. There's entire underground cities in that region of Cappadocia. And the Christians were very strong there in the early days. And in fact, these underground cities, they would run into these cities when uh, Roman oppressors would come and they would hide uh, for extended periods of time in these underground cities. So Cappadocia, Asia, that's the region where the seven churches are. You know the seven churches of Revelation? They're all in the province of Asia. And uh, Bithynia, that's the area uh, where modern-day Istanbul is. It's, it's uh, Constantinople that, in that area right there. So, so Peter's writing to believers in this area. And he refers to them as God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And I just want to say a word about the geography and the demographics of being the chosen people of God. There was a time when the understanding was the chosen people of God is Israel. And really, down through time, it became more the Jews, those descended from the tribe of Judah, and that everybody else was Gentiles. So guess what that made you? Okay, most of you are Gentiles. There may be a few of you here 
that have some sort of genetic link to Abraham. I don't know. If I do, I don't know of it. But that makes me a Gentile. And it's interesting here to hear Peter, the Jew, writing to the elect and the exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And for him in saying scattered throughout the provinces, to name these provinces that are a part of the Gentile world. Now, there were Jews in these places. But he's talking to more than Jews here. And this is a point that I think we lose sight of and we forget how blessed we are. And, and to bring it into better context for you, I want to turn for just a second to the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 2. And this is Paul writing to a similar group of people as Peter. And he says this, verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Understand that this is where even the apostles started in their understanding of Jesus' mission and Jesus' purpose. Their understanding was he had come as the king of the Jews and he had come to save the Jewish people. And the Gentiles were excluded. This was Paul's original understanding. This was the disciples' original understanding. In fact, you go to the story in the book of Acts where, do you remember the vision where Peter sees the sheet let down from heaven and there's all kinds of unclean beasts in there and God says, kill and eat. And he says, no way, no way. Nothing un unclean has ever come into me. And God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And immediately after this, Gentiles show up at the door and say, Cornelius, the centurion, is asking for you to come and teach. And Peter connects the vision. He says, wait a minute, maybe God is telling me they're not as unclean as I thought they were. And he goes with them to the house of Cornelius, and he begins to preach to them. And a most amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles even before they're baptized. That had never happened before. You know why it had to happen that way? Because Peter would have never baptized him if it hadn't. If God hadn't taken the lead and said, the Gentiles are okay, you can bring them in, he would have never baptized them. And in fact, even after the Holy Spirit fell on them and he baptized them, he took heat in Jerusalem for doing it. What are you doing? These guys aren't even circumcised. Well, I kind of felt like God took the lead here. We forget that even to the original disciples, we were outsiders. God was not for us. We were the enemies. Verse 13, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, maybe we could forgive the Jewish people for having an inclination to think that the Gentiles were not okay and it was not allowed to be a part of this. 
But if you're a Gentile, you have no excuse to have any kind of a racial bias against any other group because you are the outsider. And isn't it crazy that we've created this notion that, no, 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 we're the righteous ones and everybody else is to be excluded. No, 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 no. You know what most of our ancestors were doing when Jesus walked on the earth? I'll tell you at least mine. A whole bunch of mine were living in northern Europe and worshiping trees. I'm really proud of that. See, I come from the barbarians. And I've been invited to join the people of God. Never forget how blessed we are. And never take an attitude that my ancestors are so great. No, my people were the ones that the Romans called uncivilized. Think that one through. Never forget this. We've been included in this. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. Those are powerful and wonderful words that each of us is this living stone that's being placed by the hand of God filled with the Holy Spirit and together we're built into a temple of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the context of what Peter is saying here in in the open to his letter. He's writing to the elect and by elect he means those called who have put their faith in Jesus, regardless of race, nationality, heritage, background. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, you become a part of this family, and you cannot be excluded. Let's go on, verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right, I want to break this into four pieces here. He's writing to those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Stop right there for a second. God knows you. This is what this is saying. God knows you. You are not a nameless, faceless person that showed up here and God's like, well, I wonder who that guy is in the third row. I've never seen him before. No, God knows you. And you're here because he called you here today. Now, you may think there's a different reason. You may think, oh, they just drug me along. Or, oh, no, I was just driving by and saw it and walked in. No, you're here Because God called you here today. He knows you. He speaks to you. And he called you. You're here. The foreknowledge of God. Now, what is God's purpose for you here today? Well, I don't know exactly. 
But I think a part of it is so that you can have a living encounter with Jesus Christ. So, verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Second point I want you to get out of this. God has sent the Holy Spirit into your life. That's how he called you. Now, your willingness to be open to the Spirit and to the transformational power of the Spirit makes all the difference in the world as to how effective the Spirit is in your life. You can fight the Spirit, you can resist the Spirit, but God has sent His Spirit to you. And if you are willing to be open to the Spirit, He will fill you with His Spirit, and that will lead to the next point who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God has called you to join his team. God has said, look, the world is full of death and despair, and there is no hope there. But I have sent hope through Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him I will give you the Holy Spirit, and I will invite you to join my team, the Kingdom of Heaven team. And once you're on my team, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, and the Holy Spirit will teach you how to be a good teammate, how to be a productive member of the team. So I got myself up early yesterday morning. I don't know why I do these things to myself. I think it has to do with Ariel. When Ariel came along, I, I gained a new awareness and appreciation for the world of women's athletics because she's really good at sports and stuff. And I got drug into soccer with her because she was a soccer player, and I ended up being the coach of her soccer team for a little while. And I got real invested in women's soccer. Who knows how these things happen? So I got up at 5 a.m. to watch the U.S. women's national team play the Netherlands yesterday. And by 7 o'clock, I was so stressed out. My, my pulse rate was probably 130. I don't know. It was just, ah. I don't know if you know anything about the game, but it ended tied 2-2. Two to two. They went to extra time. There were disallowed goals on both sides. I just, if I had hair, I would have pulled it out. It went to penalty kicks. Are you kidding me? We're going to decide this like this? And thankfully, they, they won the, the, the penalty kicks, so they get to go on and play Canada now. So apparently I have to get up at 2 a.m. to watch that one. So, But the point being there is if you're part of that team, you need to be a good teammate. You know, they're not going to put somebody out there who's, who's just kind of half-hearted on it. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't really care. No, that's not how it goes. Your team is counting on you. You're not going to put somebody out there that's secretly playing for the other team. So it shouldn't be that way in the church either because God has given us his Holy Spirit 
And that Holy Spirit works inside of us and transforms us and transforms our behavior to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Now, I'm not talking about perfectionism here. I'm not talking about you struggling to be good enough to be accepted. Do you understand? This is the third point I'm making. You're already called and chosen. You're already filled with the Spirit. The whole idea of obedience doesn't come until the grace of God has already covered your life. But why would you play for the other team when God has given you so much? So, so you've, got, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge, sanctified through the Spirit, called to be obedient, and then you get this blessing. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Doesn't that sound good? Would you like grace in abundance? Peter wrote a letter that said, have some grace in abundance. Would you like some peace in abundance? Apparently it's available. Well, let's go on here. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I like this phrase. He didn't give us a dying hope. He gave us a living hope. And you know why we have a living hope? It's because our hope is not just based on that Jesus died for our sins, but that Jesus rose again that he ever lives to make intercession for us and that his promise is he will come again. This is why our hope lives. The grace we have is not just the forgiveness of sin associated with the death of Jesus. It's about transformation into new living associated with the resurrection and the living Lord. We don't worship the Jesus who died. We worship the Jesus who rose again. We thank him for his sacrifice, but he lives to give us living hope. This is not just an external escape from punishment that we have received through Jesus. We have been given a living hope that is there every day, and it is new every morning. We have a new birth. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Okay, how do you get an inheritance? Well, you get an inheritance generally by being related somehow. That's normally how it happens. And if you go over to the book of John where we spent so much time this year, you know that those who believed were given the right to be the sons and daughters of God. And sons and daughters receive inheritance. It's, it's what happens. So when you have become a son or daughter of God, you have put yourself in the line of inheriting the blessing that God longs to give. It's not iffy. It's absolutely established. You, as the sons and daughters of God, will receive the inheritance. Now maybe some of you, have you ever received an inheritance? Has anybody here ever received an inheritance? Did, did it last forever? Was it perfect and unspoiled? <laughs> You might have inherited a house that should have been torn down 20 years ago or something like that. You're like, wow, an inheritance. I saw a cartoon once that uh, was really funny. It was a son standing with his older father beside 
looking into this garage that was just a wasteland of stuff. And the father said to him, just think, son, one day this will all be yours. And he's like, wow, no thanks. But that's not the kind of inheritance we have with God. We have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And it is preserved for us in heaven. Let's go on, verse 5. For us who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what this verse 5 is telling us is that we live shielded by God's power to preserve us to be ready to receive that inheritance on the day that he comes. Now, we could make a mistake in reading this. We could make a mistake in reading shielded by God's power and we could think in our minds that means nothing will ever go wrong for me. And then we would look at our lives and say, wait a minute, that's not what my life looks like. Maybe this isn't true. Well, no, don't go down that road because Peter himself knows the danger of that thought because look at what he says in the very next verse. In all this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All right, what's he saying here? He's saying you have a sure inheritance coming. It will be revealed in fullness when Jesus comes again. You are shielded and protected so that you can be there to receive that inheritance on the day that he does return. However, until you get there, you're going to have some challenges. You're going to go through some things. But here's what you need to understand about those challenges that come along. Let me read this to you without the little phrase in the middle. It's talking about trials, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All right, when, a, when suffering or challenge comes upon you, it tests our faith, doesn't it? Sometimes we're like, how in the world can this be happening to me? But when we hang on to our faith in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a challenge... It brings honor and glory to God that we have shown faithfulness even in the midst of trial. And not only that, sometimes it's the most impactful thing that can ever happen to someone else. Let me tell you what I mean. Have you ever known someone that, that perhaps is facing uh, some sort of a, a, a terminal diagnosis? Have you ever known anybody in your life who was in the closing stages of their life and they know they are? And you go to them, and you're not sure what to say, and you really want to try to cheer them up, and you, you're really hoping you can, you can do something, but you just feel powerless and helpless. And you go into the room, and all of a sudden, it's as though you're entering the presence of the Lord. And they're laying there. They're suffering. They're, they're uncomfortable. And, and they greet you with a smile. And, and you say, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And they say, don't. No, no, don't worry about me. I'm so thankful the Lord has given me such a good life. I've been blessed in so many ways. 
so many things, my family. And they, they start listing all of these things, and you're like, you're supposed to be suffering. Why are you ministering to my heart? You see, when we hold up and hold our faithfulness and, and demonstrate that real trust that we have, that what God has promised he will deliver in our hour of trial, we witness powerfully to people around us. When the Lord comes again, there's not going to be praise to the people who just had smooth sailing their whole life, is there? It's like, big deal. Anybody could do that. The ones that we're going to seek out are the ones that went through trial and stayed faithful. We're going to say, man, thank you for your witness. See, this is what it means to be on the team. Regardless of what comes to us, we're on this team. And, and we give praise and glory to God when we hold up through trials. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is kind of, kind of a poignant word that he says here. Do you remember the story that takes place at the end of the book of John about a certain man named Thomas? Thomas was one of the disciples and it turns out that shortly after Jesus is raised from the dead, Jesus appears to the disciples, but for some reason Thomas is not in the room. And when Thomas comes in later, they say, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, no, I don't think you have. And I'm not going to believe you have until I can put my hand in the nail prints and put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And a week later, the disciples are in the room again, and Thomas is there this time, and Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, I heard what you said last week. So just so that you can believe, come here and put your hand right here. And, and put it in my side so that you can see this really is me. And, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says something. He says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Peter is addressing that group right here. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you filled with that right now? You can be. Because even though we can't see Jesus, we can still love him. And we can be filled with that joy. Why? Verse 9, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. And what is that? The salvation of your souls. Boy, is that good news? The end result of your faith is the salvation of your souls. And receiving this inheritance. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is one of the most profound little sections of scripture I think you could ever stumble on. And let me tell you why I think that. What this is telling you, what this is telling us, is that we are the most blessed believers to ever live. Did you catch that in there? Maybe you didn't catch that in there, but, but here's where it comes from. He starts by talking about the prophets who wrote about the coming of the Messiah and, and just searched and scratched their heads and tried to understand what this deliverance that God was going to send would really be like, but they never figured it out. They were serving us. Isaiah. You, know, you think about Isaiah. What an amazing prophet. The way he walked with God. The things he knew. All the stuff he wrote. Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And, and Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 to describe his own ministry. I mean, amazing. But the truth is, Isaiah never got the full picture because he never saw Jesus. No one ever told him the whole story. Even Daniel gets to the end of his book and he's like, oh, sorry, Lord, I just don't get it. He says, it's all right, it's not for you to get. You won't be able to figure this out until Jesus comes. Even John the Baptist, who I would call the last of the Old Testament prophets, he just appears in the New Testament. Even John the Baptist can't quite figure it out. Are you the one? Or should we look for another? And he doesn't live all the way to the death and the resurrection to know the whole story. But you know what? You know the whole story. This is why I believe that the comment is made about John the Baptist, never has a greater prophet appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Why? Because you know the whole story. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the chapter that talks about all the heroes of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. But now catch this line. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they might be made perfect. You see, you start further down than they ended. 
That's how blessed you are. Think about your Bible. How much of your Bible is Old Testament? A lot of it, right? All of them knew less about the full revelation of God than you do. Even the greatest of the prophets. Because the fullness of the revelation of God did not come until Jesus came. So as much as they were privileged to work with God, to hear the voice of God, to be prophets of God, they don't know as much as you do. And in fact, did you catch that last line? Back here in 1 Peter, even angels long to look into these things. Is it possible you know things about God that even angels don't know? You see, you of all believers, of all ages, are among the most honored. You have the stories of everyone that went before. You have the law of God to guide you. You have the words of the prophets. Plus, you have Jesus. And you know some things that the angels long to know. So there was an old hymn from a poem written by a man named Johnson Oatman, Jr., Maybe you remember these words. There is singing up in heaven such as I have never known. Where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. Their sweet harps are ever tuneful and their voices always clear. Oh, that we might be more like them while we serve the Master here. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings. For angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. Do you sometimes feel most cursed? Well, let me tell you, you actually are most blessed. You've been given this fullness of God's revelation that you're allowed to pick up anytime you want and read. You want to hear the voice of God? It's right here. Pick it up and read it. Anytime you want. Moses didn't have that privilege. Abraham didn't have that privilege. Jacob didn't have that privilege. When David came along, a lot of it wasn't written yet. You've got all of it. But even Malachi didn't have the writings of Paul. Do you see how blessed you are? And you've been told the good news. Not just the messages that point towards the Savior, but the explanation that points back to the Savior that has come. You are so blessed. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed.
there's still some things we can do to bring glory to the kingdom of God. And one of them is to be faithful in all these days that remain of our lives until Jesus comes again. This is how we say thank you for the blessing and the honor that we have received. And I don't know, maybe it feels like a stretch, but Peter's suggesting that we would even take joy in the fact that we are allowed to participate in the suffering. Chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I hope this gives you hope. I hope it gives you confidence. I hope that you recognize how blessed you are. You see, you have been called a child of God. And God has said to you, Jesus paid it all. You are who I say you are. Though you may have trials, take heart. Be faithful. And your faith will result in the salvation of your souls. I want to invite the band to come back. They're going to lead us in a couple songs as we close out this time. And as they're coming back, I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 43. The words of one of the prophets who, who God revealed much to, but who did not know what you know. But hear these words. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Now I want to stop for just a second there. Because you might read that and you think, oh no, I'm not Jacob, I'm not Israel, I'm not Jewish, I'm not from that tribe. But remember what we talked about? The miracle that God did through Jesus Christ in opening the doors to everyone. So these words are to you. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you. You know what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to say, he who created you. And then you're going to say your name, all right? So that you know this is for you. Here we go. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you. Ah, that was, that was half-hearted. You didn't believe it. Let's try it again. He who created you. Yeah. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by the name you just said. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior.